Tales of War, Chapter Five: Siege and Defense of the Saralor. The wind had picked up, and the sea was no longer calm. In the distance, Strick could see the Alliance and Kultiran fleet getting closer and closer to the city's docks. The ship that the Gnome and Theresia were on had diverged from the rest of the fleet to approach the city from the east, sailing between the mainland and an island called Tusk Isle. With their single ship, they were to infiltrate the harbor and deal with any minor interference. Lady Proudmoore's plan had worked astoundingly well. Not only had the entire Sandalari army, together with the stationed horde forces, reportedly moved to Nasmir, what remained of the Sandalari fleet would also be quickly dealt with if all went according to plan. The remaining ships were now fully mobilized against the amassing Alliance fleet so the small, single ship coming from the east was overlooked. Repeat that again. The Alliance and Kulteran fleet is sieging a Desara lore, and the entire Zandalari army is in Nasmir, together with most of the Horde forces. Yahad right, man. I was sent here to inform you that the Alliance was attacking from the north, from Nasmir, and that the war would soon be over. Halfway here, I was intercepted by a runner from the Saralor. The attack from Nazmi was a ruse to distract our forces. I suspect the army is already moving from Nazmi to return to the Saralor, but an army moves slow. It will be up to a smaller force to break the siege before the army can assist. As we are so close, you will most likely be part of that team. Cadian attempted to take all this in. It was overwhelming, and as he looked behind him, he could not help but start praying to the light. His small group of five were riding hard, looks of determination on all of their faces. As they had been so few, they had been able to quickly prepare for battle and mount up. The Zandalari commander had still been coordinating the forces at Saibahari when they had left, too many to leave at a moment's notice. It indeed seemed like Cadian and his troops would be some of the first defenders of the city. Barum and Aspa both caught his gaze, and they nodded at him. The paladin took a deep breath and felt the light's peace begin to rest on him. Who else will be part of the forces to break the siege? Cadian asked as he turned back to the Darkspear. On my way here, I saw a rider on a bat approach the city from the south together with a terror wing. I suspect that was Princess Talanji and the War Chief's champion, the Blightcaller. If he be here, no doubt some of the finest heroes of the Horde will soon follow. Cadian did not have the time to reply, because at that moment they could see the southwest entrance to the city. Just as the troll had suspected, Nathanos Blightcaller was there. Beside him stood a group of about two dozen Horde champions of all races. It seemed it was time to join the fray. The ship that the Sandalari had overlooked hit land just south of the harbor, and Strick looked over at Theresia. Are you ready? The mage nodded, but said nothing in reply. Her face betrayed nothing. A stare of determination was all that Strick could pick up. A sly smile crept onto the gnome's face, and he winked at Theresia. Let's go, then. They set off quickly on foot toward the city, accompanied by a dozen rogues and a single priest. The rogues were set to do most of the work. Strick and Theresia were there in case a distraction was needed. The priest, well, they all knew why he was there, 
but none of them wanted to think about that just yet. Cannon fire and shouts could be heard as the Alliance fleet got closer to the docks, but the only thing that could be heard in the vicinity of the small strike team was the sounds of the jungle and a light humming. Where's that humming coming from? One of the rogues whispered. Oh, that would be me, Strick replied and raised his hand. Cut it out immediately, another rogue hissed. Strick shrugged and started tapping on his staff instead as they approached a cave entrance. This is the passageway that will lead us straight to the docks. Let's move. Two by two they entered the passageway, except the mage, warlock, and priest who walked in a trio. As they had been told, several Tertullans occupied this place. Also, as they had been told, none of them engaged them or tried to stop them. They simply stared at the row of rogues with the three casters in tow. Strick smiled happily and waved at some of them. Did I tell you the story one of these Tertullan told me a while ago, Theresia? Apparently there's such a thing as a storytelling god. His name is Torga. The rogue who had hissed at Strick glared angrily at the gnome, but quickly readied himself to fight when a massive explosion could be heard at the distance. It quieted down quickly, and the tunnel remained still. They kept moving. After only a minute or two, they emerged from the passageway, still not encountering a single Sandalari. What awaited them out in the open was the sight of the entire Sandalari fleet in flames. The plan had worked, and the Alliance ships were moving into the harbor. Straight ahead of them, there was a staircase that led down to a courtyard, where what seemed to be a makeshift horde base could be seen. As the Alliance ships laid anchor at the docks, troops began pouring out. It was an impressive sight, and it seemed that the port would be taken easily. Then, a group of Sandalari entered the courtyard, led by a mounted troll. They all seemed to be followers of the light, glowing lightly or preparing holy prayers. Ooh, that troll in the mount is a paladin! A Sandalari paladin! Calm yourself, gnome, a third rogue said, this one being the appointed leader. I don't know why you're so excited by all this, but our mission leads us up these stairs to the right. It is the heroes of the Alliance's work to break the main defenses. As they turned right, away from the courtyard and deeper into the city, Strick turned to Theresia and spoke in a whisper. I knew they existed! I've heard so many rumors about Zandalari paladins, but people kept saying that they aren't a thing. I can't wait to play one! This spurt of excitement seemed to pull Theresia from her focus on the mission, and her face got a questioning expression. Play one? What do you mean? Oh, uh, you know, in Hearthstone. Play one, face off against. In Hearthstone, the card game. When this entire conflict has died down, of course. Strick cleared his throat and laughed nervously. <laughs> we better keep moving, these rogues won't wait for us. There was no time to lose. Even before Cadian and his troops had dismounted, Princess Talanji moved into the city with the Horde champions. Following just behind the main forces, Cadian saw something in the corner of his eye. They were moving through the Sokalo, but on the level above them, where the Sanchul Temple stood, a group of Alliance archers were lining up. Instinctively, the Blood Elf began to give orders. Aspa, up above! Those archers must not fire a single volley upon our forces! Distract them! The Tauren Shaman nodded and sent off a hastily prepared spell, making the ground shake lightly under the archer's feet. Barum, we need to get up there. 
Can nature help us? Ah, now you're thinking like a commander, the druid said approvingly and kneeled. The next moment, roots began to sprout from the ground and walls, forming what looked like a staircase up to the upper level. Trug, behind me, Caden shouted and quickly advanced up the roots. A delighted chuckle let him know that Trug was following, and as soon as he stepped on stone again, he raised his shield and advanced on the archers. Two archers still held their footing after the light tremor, and two arrows were fired but deflected by Cadian's shield. The same second as the two arrows fell to the ground, Trug made a giant leap from behind the paladin and swung his axe as he landed. Two archers fell to the ground, but a third regained her footing and fired at Trug. He was aimed true and should have pierced Trug's right shoulder, but instead veered off to the side of his shoulder. Stepping up from the roots behind Cadian came Etheron, the forsaken priest. His eyes were fixed on Trug, and the palms of his hands were turned to the sky. We serve the light, Ethron said as he stepped up behind Cadian. He then leaned out to the side of the paladin's shield and gestured powerfully at the archer who had fired at Trug. She dropped her bow and clasped her head, writhing in agony. But the shadow has its uses. Cadian did not reply, but advanced to stand next to Trug, making sure he covered the priest behind him. There were three archers still standing, but as soon as Trug had leaped in, they had begun their retreat. They were now backtreading, preparing to shoot a volley at Cadian and his troops. Suddenly, they were stopped in their tracks, roots sprouting from the ground and pinning them to the spot. Simultaneously, all three of them dropped their bows and signed for their surrender. Baram stepped next to Cadian. As he had expected, the druid had followed them up the roots. I had already begun, and the Roots were so willing to help. Why not finish the job? Baron looked down on the archer who had been inflicted by Ethron's shadow magic. He was a night elf, and Baron looked on her with sad eyes. You should not have come here. The magic seemed to dissipate, and she stared back at him with a defiant look. Her face seemed to say that she had lost everything and had nothing more to lose. Gradient! You have to come see this. The blood elf turned and walked up to Trug, who had moved forward and peered down into the Zakalo. There's a showdown about to take place. There was indeed an encounter about to begin down below. The Horde Champion's path was blocked by a group of dark iron dwarfs, who seemed to be unified as one. It was not merely their formation that gave that impression. Cadian could sense that there was something greater that bound them together. It was the light. They were imbued by its power, almost as if they were champions of the light. For a moment, Cadian felt that he shared that connection. During the Burning Legion's invasion, the followers of the light had stood as one against the darkness. But this was war. He could not allow himself to give in to this sensation of brotherhood. Or perhaps he could use it to the Horde's advantage. The group was led by a mounted female paladin and he could clearly sense that she was closely bound to her troops. It was as if they were sealed together, carrying a seal of retribution around them. They need to isolate the rider. They are connected through the light, and every strike against the troops will cause the light to imbue the leader with seal to strike even stronger. Trug seemed confused, and not at all interested in Cadian's tactics. As Cadian desperately tried to think of a way to communicate this, the champions for the Horde initiated the encounter. 
Cadian was about to shout at the top of his lungs what he had discovered, but noticed that they already were moving in different directions. A single champion attempted to draw the troops away from the rider by shouting and taunting them. The rest of the champions stayed together, focusing on the rider. Barum walked up next to Cadian. Trog, go care for the archers who surrendered. What do you see, Cadian? The Blood Elf was about to explain how the Seal of Retribution was able to imbue the leader with zeal when her troops were attacked, but in the same instant the female paladin called for the light. The light changed her seal. She was no longer bound to her troops. The light focused on her, and the intent was to punish anyone who struck her. It was a seal of reckoning. The light empowers the rider. It bound her to their troops, but now it will punish her attackers. Every strike will empower her to strike back even harder. They must cease their assault. Once again, Cadian was about to give a shout, but Barum laid his hand on the paladin's shoulder. Look, they are moving. The druid was right. As one, the group that had focused on the rider shifted to help the single champion. All but one who kept the attention of the leader far away from the rest. These are the elite champions of the horde. Those who wield the light among them must surely be sensing the same things you are. The champions made quick work of the troops, stopping priests from casting healing spells and turning away as crusaders attempted to blind them. Cadian almost felt foolish that he thought he could help those elite warriors and sorcerers of the horde. But at the same time, he felt a hint of pride in the fact that he had seen what had to be done. When the rider realized that her troops had been slain, she called out for backup, and another group of Dark Iron Dwarfs entered the court. Again, she beckoned to the light, and it bound her to the troops. The champions of the Horde, however, now knew what they could expect. The rider's end came swiftly after that, and Cadian turned to see how Trug had decided to deal with the archers. Trug! That is not how you treat a captive! Strick found that this mission had been quite relaxing so far. After they had left the courtyard behind them and climbed the stairs, it was really only a matter of following the rogues and admiring their handiwork. Fully coordinated, they had taken out every station guard that came against them. Strick was even so relaxed that he had began humming again. Theresia was not as relaxed. I know you're used to these kinds of things, but I'm not. Will you please try to be a little more serious? Oh, of course, my friend. I'm very sorry. Strick quickly turned his smile into a frown. A very exaggerated frown. As they moved from the east side of the city to the west side, all the while watching the twelve rogues carve a path for them and the oncoming alliance forces, they passed a great staircase seeming to lead from the Great Pyramid's base all the way to the ocean. Strick shot a glance down the staircase and saw that a group of about two dozen Alliance heroes were scaling the steps. Oh, they must have defeated the paladin, he blurted out. Theresia unceremoniously grabbed his arm and dragged him onward. We're coming up on the western edge of the city, the leader of their party informed the mage and the warlock. There is a bridge which is the only way into the city from the west on the south side of the pyramid. The west on the south... What? The rogue ignored Strick's mocking tone. You need to destroy or block it. If they can't enter that way, the Horde and Sandalari won't be able to flank us. Now you're speaking my language. I get to cause some trouble. 
Strick gleefully rubbed his hands together. The leader nodded and then continued. The main forces are coming up from the south. We will leave you here and continue our scouting. Good luck. Wait, what do you mean you leave us here? Theresius' protest was ignored, and too late for that matter. The twelve rogues had already begun moving and were gone. My first assignment, and I'm left alone in an enemy capital city. One might have expected fear or despair in the young mage's voice. Neither of those two were prominent. It was frustration that ruled her voice. Not alone, Strick reminded her and turned to the edge they were standing by. So, what do you think? A rain of fire to fill the bridge with debris? An earth-rattling cataclysm to collapse it completely? I can't do either of those things, Strick. Oh no, I will be doing the destructing. You will need to keep a lookout. Theresia looked at Strick in disbelief, the same disbelief she had felt the first time they met in the slaughtered lamb. Strick waved his hand in front of her face to dismiss her disbelief. Did you think I was only here for my smarts and good looks? Watch this. Strick cracked his fingers and reached both of his arms straight out to the side. Slowly, he began to recite an incantation. Uh, Strick? The gnome didn't reply. He only continued his incantation. Strick, something is happening over here. I'm kind of in the middle of something here, T. The main forces of the Alliance is engaging a duo, and it looks like it's going to be a hard fight. Really? Only a duo? Strick continued his incantation between his sentences. I can't really turn away here. I've started this and have to finish it. You'll have to give me a play-by-play. -play. Well, it seems like it's a mage and a monk that they're fighting. They're really going for the mage. I guess that makes sense. A mage can be more destructive. Oh, but the monk didn't like that. Now that the mage is hurt worse than her, she's really hitting hard. They should be... Yep. There they go, focusing back on the monk. Come on, Theresia, give me the juicy stuff. What attacks are they using? The monk is jumping around a lot, and when no one is next to her, she expels some kind of force, like a whirling storm. There she goes again. And it's jade-colored. So a whirling jade storm, and she just keeps doing that? Only when no one is close to her. It looks like our champions have already figured that out and have assigned someone to always chase after her when she jumps away. And the mage, the mage, what is he doing? Calm down, I'm doing the best I can. He also moves around a lot, but I haven't been able to see what it is he does. Wait, now I see. He teleports, and at the same time casts a fire shield on himself, and he begins to prepare a spell. Oh, a pyroblast. I haven't quite mastered that yet. It's a powerful spell. I know that, I know that. Our forces need to stop him before somebody dies. They're trying, but the fire shield is helping him keep his focus. They can't get him to- There it broke. They had to focus all their attacks on him, but they got the shield down. They were really quick to stop his cast once it was gone. They seem to be a powerful duo. Shh, hang on. Did you just shush me? Be quiet. Something is happening. There's two clouds in the midst of them. They must have summoned something. There's something glowing inside the clouds. And now the Alliance champions are entering the clouds. I can't see. Uh, one cloud just disappeared, and the champions are moving on to the next one. 
they must have destroyed something inside of it. A bomb, perhaps? Why would anyone put a bomb inside a cloud? Now the other cloud disappeared. I can't see what it was, but it looked like they had to be inside the cloud to deal with it. Probably a bomb. Will you stop it with the bombs? They're moving so fast. Something new just happened. The duo just teleported. And the entire Alliance group was teleported too, to the other side of the platform. What? So now the Horde wants to give our troops exercise? They can just run over there. Not that easy. One of them has summoned rings on the ground. The monk, I think. I don't know of any such spell. Our forces can't enter them. Looks like they have to move around them. But you're right. They're really only running over there. I swear, sometimes these hordes make no sense. Now they're back there, clashing with the duo again. Wait, is that... Theresia went silent. What? Is that what? Theresia, talk to me! Uh, the... she... It's a giant dragon. <laughs> Very funny. Come on, what's going on? The monk transformed into a giant jade serpent and the mage into a phoenix. What? You can't be serious. Are, are you serious? Uh, I need to finish this spell. They're massive. I've never seen anything like this. The serpent is breathing fire, but the Alliance champions are sidestepping it skillfully. The phoenix is just pulsating with power. Fire is emanating from its body. I can feel it from here. I feel it too, I feel it too! Come on, come on, come on, come on! <sighs> With a grunt of effort, Strick brought his raised hands downward as he commanded the flaming stones that he had summoned to plummet down towards the bridge. They slammed into the stone, and while the bridge did not break, the sheer amount of stones that Strick had summoned would block off the entrance until someone took the time to clear the bridge. They did it! Strick quickly spun around upon hearing Theresia's exclamation, and was just in time to see the monk collapse on the ground, the last smidges of jade magic seeping from her corpse. No! Strick fell to his knees and raised his hands to the heavens. I missed it! A live incarnation of the jade serpent and a phoenix! Theresia put her hand on Strick's shoulder and smirked at him. The smirk disappeared when she looked over at the bridge and saw the stones that had filled it, some still burning brightly. Strick, did you do this? The astonishment in her voice didn't change Strick's mood, which it normally would have. After a comment like that, Strick's entire body would be radiant with joy and his smile would be next to blinding. Now, still on his knees, he looked incredibly disappointed. I think this is the first time I've ever seen you pout, Theresia said in an amused voice. Hush you, I'm brooding. We better catch up to these rogues. I'm sure there's more excitement for us to miss out on. Cadian, Aspa, and Barum hurried down the steps to the Zucalo to rejoin the Horde forces. They had left Trug and Etheron with the archers, trusting that they would deal with them. There was not much time for discussion. As soon as the Horde champions had dealt with the group of Dark Iron Dwarfs, they had moved swiftly further into the city. Now crossing over the bridge to the terrace of the crafters, they heard a mighty roar from the second level of the Great Pyramid. Without stopping, the elite of the Horde moved up the staircase to face whatever had let out the roar. 
We have no time to lose. You there, the two Tauren and the Blood Elf, are you willing to fight? One of the Horde champions called out. Cadian saluted in response, while Barum and Aspa pounded their fists on their chests. Good, then come with us and follow our lead. There did indeed seem to be no time to lose, because the Horde champions wasted none. After scaling the steps, they took only a moment to breathe and witness their foe, a giant white-furred ape. And then, they leaped into the fray. It was unlike anything Cadian had ever experienced before. It was chaotic, and at the same time incredibly synergized. From the first spell that connected with the ape's fur, every single one of the Horde champions seemed to know what to do. A heavy-plated orc warrior stepped in front of the ape and drew its attacks from the rest of the group. And this was one angry ape. Cadian and his two friends had not yet approached the ape, and they were happy that they had not. Upon receiving a dagger deep into its hind leg, it suddenly turned and slammed the ground where the owner of the dagger had stood. Everyone quickly moved from the area, and even the rogue who had been the target of the slam managed to move away. It was lucky that they all moved, because the slam had been so powerful that a second later the ground vibrated and virtually exploded on the same spot. Newcomers, Trio! Go help out with those robots! The same champion who had addressed them earlier once again spoke up and pointed to the pyramid wall. Without Katie noticing, a robot had made its way to the area. He was not sure where it had come from, but his instinct kicked in and he did not have time to ponder this mystery. He moved quickly, and the two Tarrant followed. When they reached it, it was charging an electric blast of some sort. Before they had time to react, it sent the blast off towards the great ape. It connected, and rage seemed to fill the creature. We cannot let it antagonize the ape. Its rage is already too great. Barum chuckled suddenly. It's an ape-tagonizer, the Tarrant exclaimed as he shapeshifted into a great cat. The robot or ape-tagonizer, began to charge another electric blast. Cadian closed the gap and called for the light to interrupt the charge. The electricity fissed out, a sign that the light had granted Cadian's request. The robot, however, simply restarted the charge. Another individual joined their effort to stop the robot. It was the same rogue that had triggered the reverberating slam. He quickly moved behind the robot and gave it a hard kick. Apparently, this too stopped the charge, and the robot had to restart once again. They did not need to stop the robot from finishing the next charge, because Aspa sent a powerful lightning shock towards the robot. It vibrated powerfully before collapsing in a heap on the ground. In the middle of the heap, a large spherical-shaped object lay, still vibrating with electric energy. Without so much as a thought, the rogue bent down and picked it up. A shock surged through him, which caused his hood to fall off his head. He was a forsaken, and he seemed to chuckle with glee. Seemed, because his lower jaw was missing, and his tongue was hanging freely in the air. Together with the forsaken, the trio turned back to the ape and readied themselves to attack it. As they came close, the rogue chucked the electric orb he had picked up, and it hit the ape square on its back. With a great roar of pain, it began pounding the ground with all its might, as if throwing a tantrum. Once it pounded, and Cadian managed to sidestep its hind legs. Twice it pounded, and this time, Cadian was too slow. Though not crushed under the ape's leg, the force of the impact threw him off his feet and hurled him into the temple wall. As the blood elf hit the ground, 
everything went black. Cadian! Cadian! Slowly, the blood elf opened his eyes. Bless the Earth Mother, you're alive. Baron let out a sigh of relief and allowed Cadian to sit on his own. Ugh, what happened, Baron? His head was pounding and most of his body was aching. You were hit by the ape's pounding and fell unconscious. That part was not lost on me. I meant with the ape. As his head began to clear, Cadian now looked up and saw that the ape was lying motionless in the middle of the courtyard. The champions managed to slay it. More antagonizers joined the fight, and we dealt with them in the same way as the first one. We thought that perhaps it would be better not to hurl whatever it was that the Forsaken hurled at the ape. But it turned out that while the electric shock caused him to throw a tantrum, it also soothed his rage once he had finished. When we didn't throw an orb, well, a tantrum came anyway, and much stronger. So, whenever we had the opportunity, we initialized the ape's tantrum. There were also some flying robots, but all we did to deal with them was avoid the missiles they aimed at us. There were... flying robots? Kidian was still not fully conscious and was staring blankly at the great white ape. Then he noticed that Nathano's blight collar was standing by its head. The rest of the horde forces had gathered by the south staircase, seemingly preparing to head on upwards. Many had bandages, and healers of different races were moving among the ranks, offering healing spells to those in need. But the Blightcaller was standing alone, hovering around the dead ape. Cadian had a memory of seeing this champion of the Dark Lady before, back in Quel'Thalas. At that time, Sylvanas Windrunner had been the Ranger General of Silvermoon, and Athanos had been her champion even then. It had only been from a distance, but Cadian distinctly remembered seeing a human walking with the ranger general. Now, Nathanos had turned around and seemed to be talking to someone, but the blood elf could not see who. Then, a faint glow began emanating from the ape. What is it doing? What is the blight color doing? Do not bother yourself, Caden. Let me lead you to a shelter room. I will attempt to heal your injuries before we rejoin the horde forces. Kedian attempted to nod, but his eyelids followed the downwards movement, and everything returned to black. Theresia and Strick had attempted to find the rogues, for a long time, but without luck. The priest that had been with them had decided to join the Alliance forces after they defeated the mage and monk duo to offer his services as a healer. Since they had not found the rest of their strike team, Strick and Theresia decided to follow the priest's example and started climbing the steps toward the Great Pyramid. When they reached the top of the first staircase, the sound of a magic blast drew their attention upward. In the air, the shape of a troll came flying towards them. As it landed mere yards from them, they realized that it was not a troll. Well, not a live one anyway. It was a spirit, and it was radiating with arcane magic. Before they had time to react, the spirit dissolved and left in its place some sort of essence. Hello down there! Grab that essence for me, will ya? At the top of the next set of stairs, where the spirit presumably had been flung off from, stood a gnome. His hands were still vibrating with arcane energy. Without hesitation, Strick hurried forward and grasped the essence. His grumpy face had now been completely blown out the window, and childish excitement was playing on his face. 
when the essence touched the gnome's skin, a wave of darkness washed over him. Pain surged through his body, but he straightened up. I'm okay. Strick gave a strained smile and a thumbs up to the gnome on the stairs. Now what? Hurry on up here. We need to throw that essence on a giant undead monkey. Theresia carefully observed Strick's face as he turned to look at her. There was a hole where his mouth should have been, his smile so big and wide open that Theresia was convinced she could have fit a full-grown Tertolan in there. A second later, Strick set off in full sprint up the stairs. Theresia followed on his heels. Just before they reached the top, the gnome mage waiting at the top turned back and gave a shout of astonishment. In the same instant, a loud thump could be heard as something very big hit the ground. Then, they saw it the corpse of a humongous, white-furred ape. But more than that, pieces of flesh, tendons, and bones could be seen, sticking out in places that they shouldn't be sticking out. Strick came to a halt, and looked over at the mage who had called them up there. So we don't need this? The other gnome shook his head. Strick looked down at the essence that he somehow carried between his hands. His eyes were twitching and his hands were trembling from the effort and pain of holding it. D does that mean I can keep it? Keep it? Why on earth would you want to keep it? Before enough time had passed to make it suspicious that Strick didn't respond, a voice could be heard. Heroes of the Alliance and Kulteris, we have broken the defenses of the Sarlor and it is time to push onward into the heart of the city. It was the rogue who had been appointed leader of Strick and Theresia's group who was speaking. Our path leads us through the secret vaults of Dasara lore, and finally to King Rostakhan himself. Theresia and Strick's eyes met. Strick raised his eyebrows at the young mage, and after a second's thought she nodded with uncertainty. The gnome smiled mischievously and turned to follow the champions of the Alliance. He was no longer holding the essence in his hands. That's enough, Baron. We have wasted enough time on my injuries. We need to catch up with the rest of the Horde forces. Do not rush, my friend. If we do not ensure you are fully recovered, we will have to stop on our way up this pyramid. I have already seen the Horde champions take breaks. These steps are not easy to scale, and exhaustion from fighting is not going to make that easy. But the Alliance is here, in the city. We cannot delay. As you wish, Katie. Let us begin the climb. The steps were indeed a challenge in themselves. It was not a small pyramid, and Katie now understood why the Zandalari were so fond of their terror wings. Suddenly, they could hear a loud explosion and feel a wave of heat billow down the steps. Ahead of them, at the end of the steps, they could see an aura of red and jade. With renewed motivation, they pushed themselves to scale the last staircase and arrived at the top. The sight that met them left them stunned. Facing off against the Horde champions were a jade serpent and a burning phoenix. Cadian, Aspa, and Barum could do nothing but stare. And they did not have to. Moments later, the champions who had beckoned the trio to join them in their fight struck the killing blow to the jade serpent. Its power waned, and left in its place was a female Draenei. Soon after that, the phoenix too was defeated, and a male Kul'tiran human collapsed on the ground. A silence followed, 
and all that could be heard was the heavy breathing of the horde forces. It had been a straining effort to break the assault so far, but it seemed as if they would be able to reach the king soon enough. Cadian lifted his gaze to the great seal, and could see a Sandalari troll hurrying down the steps. A scout? He pointed, and every head was turned to the approaching scout. The Alliance are escaping the city! Silence. The only thing that could be heard was the steps of the scout descending the pyramid, until one of the champions regained their senses. What do you mean they're escaping? What have they done? I saw them enter that treasure vault to the city, and so I followed at a distance. As the scout finished the sentence, he reached the bottom of the stairs. The champion who had struck the killing blow to the Jade Serpent stepped up close to the scout and grabbed him around the shoulders. Tell us what you saw. Tell us everything. You have listened to Tales of War, a Warcraft audio drama. In this chapter, I am very glad to feature Marconin voicing two of the characters. If you would like to hear more from him, you can find him on Twitter at MarconinWow. You can also find the links in the show notes of this chapter. If you liked this chapter or disliked it, I would love to hear it. Find me on Twitter at Ocadian. Links to that is also in the description. On my Twitter, you can also find updates on this show. Thank you very much for listening, and see you in Azeroth.